0: Amen. Good morning. Good morning. How are we today? Great. Praise God. We're in the fifth week of our study through the book of 1 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, go there with me. Uh, we've entitled this sermon series, God's Blueprint for the Church. And as we've said each, each week of this series, we believe that Paul's aim in this letter, as he writes this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, was that Timothy would be used to build a a holy and a pure church at Ephesus. Remember this, God is more concerned about our purity before he's concerned about our church's financial health. God is more concerned about the church's purity before he's concerned about how many people sit in the chairs. God is more concerned about the purity of a church before he's concerned about how many buildings or how much property uh, they have. As you study a passage in scripture, it's always a good idea to to kind of pick out uh, the, the Uh, The main points, the the big ideas, if you will. And today we're going to discover this big idea here in this section of Scripture, starting in verse 18. Paul says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I think the big idea from this letter to Timothy, specifically in this text here, uh, comes at the end of verse 18, in the beginning of verse 19, where Paul says that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith, holding on to a good conscience. Later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy again, he says, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession and the presence of many witnesses. And so I want you to keep this big idea in mind today of fighting the good fight. Okay, keep that, that idea in mind because it's going to help us to understand what Paul is really trying to get at with Timothy. In this text, Paul encourages Timothy to fight the good fight, or like our version on the screen says, to fight well. False teachers had made their way into the church. They had infiltrated uh, the church, and so Paul had commanded Timothy to stand up against them for them to stop teaching false doctrines in the church. What was going on? There was a war that was going on for the souls of those who were at Ephesus, just like there is a war going on for the souls of the people who are at new beginnings. Make no mistake about it, there is a war that is going on right now for your soul. As one scholar pointed out, uh, Paul's command here to Timothy um, to not give up, right, to, or to, to, to fight well, uh, probably alludes to Timothy being a timid guy. All right, just we could kind of read into it a little bit that Timothy might have been uh, timid, he may have been ready to quit. And so Paul is kind of uh, coming back to Timothy and saying, hey, don't give up. Don't quit. Do not flinch. Even in the face of this opposition, do not flinch. Paul also wrote, for God has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-control, not one of what? Fear. Paul describes a war fear here that's really real. This is a real war and one that not everybody comes out on the other side as more than a conqueror in Christ. You understand that, right? Not, not every person comes out on the other side as more than a conqueror in Christ. And he warns that some people are going to shipwreck their faith, just like these two names, Hymenaeus and Alexander, and we're going to talk about them here in a little bit. You know, we would all do very well to remember our enemies, uh, like the world and our flesh and Satan and his demonic army, again, the war is for the souls of people. That's the war. The war is for the souls of people. And friends, the battleground isn't out there. The battleground is right here. The battleground is right here in the mind. It's, it's for your mind, right? For, for truth over error. For truth over lies. Many people are shipwrecking their faith because they're, they're bought into error. They're bought into lies. And so they're shipwrecking their faith. As Paul gives this command, he's exercising his apostolic authority as an apostle, and he's giving this command. So when an apostle gives a command that most of the people, even if they were an elder in the church, at another church, if an apostle gave a command, they were supposed to listen. Why? Because the apostles kind of had the supreme authority under Jesus. Does that make sense? Jesus is the head of the church. He's the ultimate senior pastor. And then it was the apostles at that time, right? And then the elders of the church. The Greek verb there, entrust, it speaks of entrusting something of great value to some, somebody. That word entrust there is a banking term. It means to make a deposit for safekeeping. Does that make sense? So, so here, why would you know, Timothy need to be guarding this treasure, so to speak, Because Paul had described these false teachers who wanted to do everything they could to take that away, to destroy it, to destroy the gospel, the truth that had been uh, taught there. Listen, when somebody teaches a a gospel that is different from the true gospel, that's not a real gospel at all. When somebody adds to the gospel, it's not a real gospel. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's all about Jesus, amen? And so what does Paul's charge to Timothy mean to us today today? As believers in Christ, the lesson for us is this. Ministry is not optional. It's not optional for anybody. I don't care if you've been a believer for one day or for 50 years. You are called to be a minister in Christ. You are called to ministry. And there is a sacred trust, if you will, that God has deposited in you. And you are going to be held accountable For what you do with it. You are going to be held to account. Listen, if God has called you to himself, then he has called you to serve. Period. Meaning, if you call yourself a Christian, God has called you to serve. I want you to hear that loud and clear. right? His orders are are he wants you to serve. Now, it's on you to kind of find out how does God want me to serve. Because how God has called me to serve may not be how God has called you to serve. Does that make sense? Like our callings are going to be different, right? We know that we're all called, but our callings may be different. And listen, we are under the calling of a commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. And listen, we are to do our ministry, whatever it is, however you're going to serve, you are to do your ministry to please Jesus, not man, not anybody else, not for the applause of other people, not for a pat on the back of other people, not to check something off a checklist, but strictly to please your commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. The fact that Paul encourages Timothy to fight the battle well implies that it's possible to not fight your battle well, right? If he says, fight your battle well, that means, hey, there's, You may not fight very well, and I would tell you that's a sad reality for a lot of Christians today. They don't fight well. Some Christians aren't even fighting. Some Christians don't even recognize that there is a battle out there. Some people get caught up in sin, or they get caught up in um, you know something else, and they stop growing and they stop following Christ. Some people fall in love with the ways of the world and they stop following Christ. Some people just get spiritually lazy. And they drift away, many because one of the more the of those reasons, they turn away from their faith and they never return to the true faith. And so again, there's a true war that is happening and it's a war over faith. It's a war over where you will place your faith. So I start with this question this morning, where will you place your faith? Will you place your faith in Jesus or will you place your faith in the things of this world? Everybody will place their faith somewhere. Where will you place your faith? Here Paul encourages Timothy again to fight well. And today you and I have to pay very close attention to these words from Paul. Why? Because they're for us to learn and they're for us to obey. So the big question I thought is how do we fight the good fight the right way? That's kind of the big idea here is fighting this good fight. Well, how do we fight the good fight the right way? I'm going to give you four ways we fight the, the good fight the right way that Paul says here. Number one. Fighting the good fight requires us to be accountable spiritually. Fighting the good fight requires us to be accountable spiritually. Verse 18, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well. Paul again here refers to Timothy as his what? Son. We looked at that week one where we said that uh, Paul was Timothy's spiritual father in the faith. But we also see here, what I want you to see is he gives him a command. Timothy is under the command of the Apostle Paul. So he's not just his son in the faith, but he's also under his command. The word fight there is in the present tense in the Greek, which means that this is not just a one-time battle. Timothy, it's not just going to be a one-time confrontation with these people where you're going to have to tell them, stop teaching these false doctrines. It's not just a one-time thing. You are to continually, every day, wake up, put on the full armor of God, and get dressed for battle. Be prepared for battle. It's noticeable that Timothy's fight was against people who were in the church. Now, some of you might say, that's kind of odd. There's a spiritual battle taking place in the church. Hear me on this, friends. Oftentimes, that's exactly where spiritual warfare takes place. It's not just out there in the world. Listen, Satan has a great hold on what's happening out in the world. This is the place where there's pushback. This is the place where where we don't give in to the way of Satan. We serve Christ and we exalt Christ. The world exalts self or whatever else they're going to exalt. But here we exalt Christ. So where is spiritual warfare going to happen? Listen, it's also going to happen in here. It's also going to happen in this place. And so Paul says to Timothy, he says, you've been chosen, basically, You know, you can't let men down. You can't let God down. You know, to every person there comes a choosing. It's who will you serve? Will you serve God or will you serve yourself? Will you serve God or will you serve man? And it may very well be Paul saying to Timothy, be true to your name. I always tell you when you're studying the Bible, look up what people's names mean. Right? It's just one of it's to me, it just opens up so much of so much more of scripture when you know what someone's name means. Here's what Timothy's name actually means. Timothy, in its full form, is Timotheos. And it actually is two Greek words combined. The first word, Tim, means to honor. And the second word, Theos, means what? God. So what does it mean? You combine these two together, and it means what? Honor God. Paul, as he's repeating his name, he's telling him, Hey, honor God. By saying every time he says his name, it's honor God, honor God, honor God. And friends, if you're called to be a Christian, right, you are, if you're one of God's people, then hear me on this, you're so also supposed to be true to that name too. You're also supposed to honor God with everything you do, every say, everything you say, every, everything you think. Listen, again, this, this, this Christian life that we're in, it's not a one-time battle, You're not just going to have a one-time battle and then you can, you know, uh, you take off your your, your spiritual armor, if you will, and just say, okay, I'm good for the rest of my life. Right? Every day there's a spiritual battle happening. Every single day there's a spiritual warfare that is taking place. I want you to understand something. Temptation is never going away from you. Temptation is always going to keep coming at you, whether it be your flesh or the enemy. And the enemy, speaking of the enemy, the enemy studying you. You know that? You know the enemy studies you and he's looking at you and he's looking at your armor, the spiritual armor that you wear, and he's looking at what spiritual armor maybe you don't put on each day. Oh, he forgot this. Let me me attack him here. Oh, she forgot this. Let me attack her here. They're studying you and they're studying you and they're looking for a chink in your armor. Every single day the enemy is studying you and I want you to understand something. This war for you is never going to end until God calls you home. You're always going to be in war, in a spiritual war. As long as you're breathing, you're in spiritual warfare. Now, today, as your pastor, right, I'm, I'm charging you like Timothy was charged by Paul to fight the good fate, fight. There is no other way for you to fight the good fight other than by the word of God and the power of God for the glory of God. You want to fight the good fight, you got to be in the word of God. You want to fight the good fight, you have to have the power of God. We ultimately do this not so just that we're victorious. We do this for the glory of God. Now, I want you to see something here. Timothy is accountable to Paul, and yes, he's accountable to God. But Paul is giving this command, and as Paul gives this command to Timothy, hear me on this, Paul is an excellent example of this to Timothy. He's not telling Timothy that he hasn't already modeled for him. He hasn't telling, he's not telling Timothy that, that there's, do this even though I don't do this. Does that make sense? He's a good example of this. He's a good role model. You know, children need good role models, don't they? Oh, they need good examples. You know, I, as a parent, I would be absolutely crushed if, if my boys, if one of my boys said they couldn't see Christ in me. I would be devastated by that. I would be devastated if my church said, hey, we, we, can't, we can't see Christ in you. Listen, as parents, we we have to tell our kids about Jesus, and then we don't just tell our kids about Jesus. We have to be a role model for our kids, a role model. Because how are our kids going to know how to fight the good fight unless they can look at us and they observe us fighting the good fight first? Listen, our kids are growing up in a completely different world than we grew up in. And our kids have no idea how to fight the good fight unless they see somebody who's already fighting the good fight and they can learn from them. Does that make sense? They have to see you fighting the good fight first. Whatever comes your way, they have to see you fighting the good fight, not giving in, continuously putting on the armor of God, continuously depending on the power of God, continuously giving glory to God. They have to see it. Certainly that was the case for Paul who counted Timothy as his son in the spirit. Oh, well, he we certainly counted him. And New Beginnings, like Paul, I, my, my plea is that we would live, we would talk, we would love in a way that points everyone to Christ, especially our kids, especially them. Hear me on this. The greatest example that any parent can give their kid is a worthy example of following Jesus. That's the best example that you can give your kid. No matter how old your kid is, if your kid is 40, if your kid is 50, 30, 20, 10, 5, it doesn't matter. The best gift you can ever give them is a worthy example of following Jesus. That's the best example we can give our kids. Now, many people can't fight because they have no one to fight with, right, alongside of, if you will, right? They isolate themselves from the church, Right? They don't reach out to get to know other people. They don't allow other brothers and sisters to invest in them. And therefore, hear me on this, when you try to do battle on your own, you are vulnerable to at- attack. Have you ever seen how lions hunt? When lions are out there, they're always looking for which one? The one that's in the middle? No, the one that's off by the side, the one that's kind of you know, separated from the group a little bit. Why? Because that's the easy prey. Let's go pick that one off. A lot harder to get picked off when you're surrounded, isn't it? Well, I want you to think of it this way. When you're in fellowship with other believers, when you're in church, when you're in Bible study, when you're in fellowship with other believers, you're surrounded. Does it make sense? You're not all by yourself. You're harder to pick off. Why? There's accountability there. There's encouragement there. There's prayer there. There's love, right? People are pouring into you. You're pouring into other people. Listen, if we're going to fight our battle well, we have to have the fellowship and accountability with other godly soldiers. So the question I ask you is, who are you pursuing righteousness with? What other believers are you pursuing righteousness with? Who holds you accountable when you're struggling with sin? Is it just yourself? Or are there other believers who who you have given permission to speak into your life? Who do you confess your sins to in order to receive prayer and encouragement? Who are your spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith? Who are you speaking to as a son or a daughter in the faith? These are all questions that we need to be answering, right? Because this is what we're seeing here happening with Paul and Timothy. So we have to pull these questions out and ask them of ourselves. Number two, fighting the good fight requires that we don't forget that we have been called by God. Fighting the good fight re- has to require that we don't forget we've been Called by God. Paul encourages Timothy to remain faithful by reminding him of his calling. Right? He says, in keeping with the prophecies once spoken about you, in order that with such encouragement you may fight the good fight. Most likely in Lystra, uh, where Timothy became Paul's missionary partner, a group of elders had prophesied that Timothy would probably um, be in missions or that he would be in pastoral ministry. And something also similar happened to Paul when he was departing Antioch with Barnabas for missions. And so here it is, these prophetic words from from God towards Timothy were supposed to sustain him in hard times. When hard times came his way, he was supposed to remember that I've been called by God. And God knew that he was calling me even to this. That even to this difficulty, even to this trial, even to this hardship, God was calling me. Even to this, I have to stay faithful. God knew He was calling me to this. Friends, listen, we have to have a strong sense of God's calling to fight our battle well. We also need confirmations from other believers speaking into us. That's why if you're not doing life with other believers, you're not getting these confirmations from God that God has called you even to this. Does that make sense? So sometimes people are all by themselves, right? They're not involved in church. Then they go through tragedy and they go, okay, uh, I guess God has just abandoned me. And they don't have any other believers who go, no, 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 no. God knew you were going to go through this and he's going to walk you through this. He's going to take you through this for a purpose, for a reason. Listen, we also need to be in the word or we're not going to fight well. It's one of the reasons why we push Bible study at this church so much We push Bible study here so much because we understand that if you're not in the Word, how are you supposed to fight well? The Word is the only weapon you need. And so how are you going to fight well if you don't even have a weapon? Listen, if we're not intimate with God, we're going to lack a clear sense of calling. Personally, I know the importance of having a strong sense of call. I can tell you I've been in ministry now for 17 years in April. And I can tell you this, that There are times as a pastor, even at the beginning when I was just a youth pastor, and I say just a youth pastor, I don't mean it um, in a derogatory way, Um, but when I was a youth pastor, I can remember there was times that were hard then. And there's days where you feel like you want to quit and you don't want to keep going. Does that make sense? What keeps you going? It's, It's one of the things that keeps you going is that God has called you to this. Like if you don't have a clear sense of God's call on your life, then when you go through hardship or trial, you're going to think it's either by accident or that God has abandoned you or God has forgotten about you. The calling is what keeps you going. The calling is how you know that, hey, no, 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 God hasn't given up on me. He, he has told me that this is part of it. This is part of what he has called me to. This is part of the plan. Now, we're not all called to be pastors like Timothy, but we are all called to ministry. You're called to ministry, I'm called to ministry, and so we have to continually reconfirm God's call on our life so that we can keep going in ministry. Number three, fighting the good fight requires that we are strong in Christ-exalting theology and doctrine. Fighting the good fight requires that we are strong in Christ-exalting theology and doctrine. Verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Keeping the faith means holding to what has been revealed to you about God. Keeping the faith means holding fast to the gospel. Timothy's first responsible to the Lord was to remain loyal to the objective truth of God's word. There was other people who were in the midst there at Ephesus who had turned away from the truth. They had turned away from the truth of God's word, and they had wavered on their obedience to God's word. And the call for Timothy is don't waver. Right? Stay true to God's word. Friends, if you're paying attention at all to what's happening in the church in America, and I don't care what denomination you look at, you will see that there are many church, churches, pastors, elders, other Christians who are wavering on the truth of God's word. They're feeling the pressure from society, they're feeling the pressure from around them, and they're saying, okay, we've got to give in here. Otherwise, we might lose our influence if we don't give in. See, here's what's going to happen. These churches are giving in, and they think they're going to lose their influence if they don't give in, but God's going to cause them to lose their influence for him because they gave in. Does that make sense? Like, it's the opposite that's going to happen. God's not going to bless you if you're going to ditch his word. He's not going to bless that. See, it's easy for you to look at another church and go, they have a lot of people or they have a lot of money. God has blessed them. You don't know that. Listen, just because some people are able to raise money doesn't mean that 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 God has blessed them with it. Sometimes all that money can be a curse. Because why? Because they could be blinded. They could be blinded by it. Or look at all that we got. They don't have to depend on God as much. Listen, there's a lot happening, and I don't mean to, 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 to waver on where I'm going here or to um, deviate from where I'm going. But in dealing with false teachers, Timothy had to be certain of the truth. Does it make sense? He had to be certain that this is what God had said, he had to hold to it. And what I want you to understand is Satan always deals in deception, Satan deals in lies. He's the father of all lies, is what Scripture says. Satan deals in deception. Satan always wants you to go, Did God really say? Is that what it really means? Right? God doesn't really want me to do this. Well, if His his Word says it, then that's yes, that is exactly what He wants you to do. We see that MO all the way from the beginning with, with Adam and Eve, don't we? Listen, He wants you to have a good conscience. What is a good conscience? A good conscience is where you know you stand blameless in front of God. A good conscience is not that I stand blameless in front of you. You understand? It's not about you. Good conscience is where I stand blameless in front of God. That's a good conscience. That's the kind of conscience that you want to have. And listen, it's not about perfection. You can't be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. But you're free from guilt, from sin. Right, And you're free from any accusation from the community of believers that you're in. This is what it means to have a good conscience. Paul wanted Timothy to maintain what he believed and to keep acting on it. You know, Timothy had big responsibilities ahead of him. Paul was essentially handing off the torch of ministry to his son in the faith. And in a lot of ways, our responsibilities are the exact same as Timothy's. Exact same. You know, all, you and I, we also have to stand... Uh, stand strong on scripture and hold fast to scripture you and I have a conscience that corrects us when we sin prayerfully right prayerfully you have a conscience that corrects you when you sin right that helps you to hold tight to faith friends we live in a day that's gone crazy with methods over trying to grow a church as a pastor, let me just tell you, there are not a week goes by where I don't get a, an offer for a book or, you know, a, a system for $3.99 or $4.99, something crazy where it says, do this, buy this, and your church will expo- explode in growth. Follow our way, and God will explode your church in growth. And listen, I, tra- I tend to avoid those things like the plague. I think when I was young as a pastor, I would look at those things and go, oh, yeah, what's the latest trend? What's the latest thing? And I think as you mature in the faith, you realize, listen, all we need is God. All we need is God. We need his word. Listen, how did God build churches in the beginning? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like like God drew his people. God built the church. So scripture says, listen, listen, God is going to build his church. I don't have to come up with any crazy wackadoo methods to sit there and go, let me reinvent the wheel. I don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. Again, what is God concerned about? Is God concerned about the numbers or is he concerned about the purity? He's concerned about the purity of the church. Listen, one thing stands true to me above everything else is that the best way to have a a healthy ministry is to have a good conscience And hold true to the faith. Have a good conscience, meaning I stand blameless in front of God. Right? Not in front of man, but in front of God. And have a good conscience. And if you have a relationship with God, God's going to use you to be fruitful in ministry. That's just what's going to happen. If you have a good relationship with God, if you have a healthy relationship with God, God's going to use you in ministry. It may not look like me, and mine may not look like yours. But God's going to use us in different ways. But he will use us. He will use us. A good conscience kind of serves as a rudder that steers the believer. Steers the believer between rocks. Think about it, if you were out going out to the, the, the keys or to the mangroves or something like that and you were going to you know, go through, you would need you know, something to direct you. And a good conscience kind of guides you through those mangroves. It guides you so you avoid the rocks. It, it guides you so you avoid the trees so you don't shipwreck your faith. And friends, listen, let me just tell you something. When you begin to ignore your conscience, you need to look out. Rough seas are ahead for you. If you want to ignore your conscience and you know that God is telling you, hey, that's wrong, that's sinful, and you keep ignoring it and you ignore it and you ignore it, hear me on this. You're going into rough seas. You're going into rough seas and it's going to get rough for you. You know, in life, there are currents that take us off, off course. And you know what those currents are that take us, off, take us off course? It's called compromise. When you compromise, it takes you off course to where God is wanting you to go. Compromising on the truth of God's word, compromising on what you know to be right and wrong, that will inevitably take you off course. The Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that that would not happen to Timothy. He wanted to make sure that Timothy would stand strong. And so he encouraged Timothy to be faithful in telling other people what he knew to be true. Stay faithful to what you know to be true. Otherwise, you're going to shipwreck your faith. And hear me on this. If you will not stand strong, if you will not hold fast to the faith, if you will not make sure that your conscience is clear and clean, then, friend, you will also contribute to the shipwrecking of other people's faith. It will not just be you. You will also contribute to other people. I want you to hear this. It's a, it's a scary thought. But Jesus made it very clear that the one who endures to the end is the one that will be saved. Jesus made that clear. That's not your, just your pastor. That's, hey, that's what God said. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And so we've got to pay careful attention to what we know about Jesus. Why? So that we don't drift away from Jesus. Your conscience is always going to be a guide. It's always going to be a guide that will guide you to safety when it's guided by God's word. Lastly this morning is this, number four. Fighting the good fight requires that we remain teachable and humble. Fighting the good fight re- re- requires that we remain teachable and humble. And he says, so ha- some have suffered shipwreck with regard to faith. Among them are Herminius and Alexander. I want to talk about these two guys here for a minute most scholars agree that these two guys were probably the ringleaders of this group of people who were trying to teach a false doctrine in the church at Ephesus they were the the leaders of the pack of wolves if you will okay who had come in to ravage the church and Hymenaeus is probably the same uh false teacher that Timothy writes about and set or excuse me Paul writes about in 2nd Timothy chapter 17 and 18 and Alexander might be the same one in 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 14 The point being here is this. First, both of these men had shipwrecked their faith, and then I don't want you to miss this. Satan was allowed to wreak havoc in their lives. Paul says he handed them over to Satan. Paul says he handed them over to Satan. Now, you might go, how in the world could that happen? How could he hand somebody over? Isn't that something that God would do? Or how does, how does that work? What, what does that mean? You know, have I been handed over to Satan? What, what does it mean to be handed over to Satan? Well, that interpretation, honestly, if you're looking at it just at the surface, without doing much digging, it can be kind of difficult, right? Clearly, I think we can know right off the bat that these two guys had been excommunicated from the church. They were teaching a false doctrine. They wouldn't repent. And so, say, hey, what does Scripture tell us? Implement church discipline. And church discipline would say, you can't fellowship with the believers here. Why? Because you're a threat to the believers now. You're not someone who's going to help the believers. You're going to hurt the believers. And so you can't come in. You can't be part of the fellowship here until you repent. So we know that he had probably already done that right off the bat. Same phrase is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, where Paul said, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice there's uh, two different results. In 1 Timothy 1.20, they would be taught not to blaspheme, right? But the hope was that, that their spirit would be saved. I'm going to give you two different scholars and what they say about this, okay? John MacArthur, I love John MacArthur. I quote him often. John MacArthur explains it this way. He says, in some instances, God has turned believers over to Satan for positive purposes, such as revealing the genuineness of saving faith, keeping them humble and dependent on him, enabling them to strengthen others, or even offering God praise. God hands some people over to Satan for judgment, such as King Saul and the sinning member in the Corinthian church. So sometimes God is handing people over to Satan to be judged. Right? You wanted to walk away? Here's the judgment. That's what you wanted? Here, have it. Does that make sense? And then sometimes God hands over people to Satan and says, basically, test them. Like he did with Job. Does that make sense? So there's two different ways that MacArthur says there. Now, Warren Wiersbe, he says this. He says that Paul viewed the world as Satan's domain. To be in the, in, in the church under the authority of the elders, it provides a person with a certain amount of protection from the devil and his attacks through the world. What Paul probably means is that these two men were delivered over to Satan's domain, the world, by being excommunicated from the protective covering of the church and from the fellowship of its members. And so hear hear, hear me on this. Where where do I land? And you have to make your own decision where you land. But what Paul probably means is that these two men uh, were, you know, uh, like like Wiersbe says, they were excommunicated, kicked out of the church, and by that, they were removed from that protective covering, like he said. They were removed from this protective covering. Listen, as you're part of the church, we talked about this just a little bit ago, right? I think we thought we, we used the lion uh, versus the gazelle illustration, right? When you're in the church, there's a protective covering kind of over you. Why? Because you're with other believers, right? As I'm, as I'm with other believers, I know that, like, they're speaking into me, I'm speaking into them. It's one of the reasons why, and, and, I, and this is like a shameless plug for, for Monday night, it's one of the reasons I love Monday night. Men, man, if you're not here on Monday night, I just want you to know you're missing. You're missing. There's just something, and there's just something only that can be explained by God that happens on Monday nights in our Bible study. And it's not just that we're studying the Bible because we are. But we're encouraging each other. There's brothers who are being built up, prayed for, loved on, held accountable. Right? It's, it's all of these things. Right? The enemy is looking at that going, okay, what? How do you attack somebody who's being encouraged in the word? How do you attack someone who's being held accountable by the word? It's a little bit harder, isn't it? There's just something, there's a protective covering that comes when you're in fellowship with other believers. Some scholars have suggested that those in the church, that for those who wouldn't repent, some have suggested that the church was to pray for some body ailment to come upon those men to humble them so that they would repent and be restored to fellowship. I've never even thought about that. i would never even thought about that, hey, someone won't repent, someone won't, you know, come back. And so that we're to pray for some, some type of harm to come their way so that, that, that they would return to, to God and be humbled. Listen, I I will tell you this. I have seen that before, though. I have seen where somebody has walked away, and then why do you get the call, you know, hey, would you come minister to me, or would you pray with me, or would you encourage me? Why? Because something bad happened, and they return back. I've seen it happen. You probably have seen it happen. You probably know somebody, right? It's very hard for people to oftentimes find the Lord when things are going good. But when times go bad and they realize that God is all they have, only place they can look, right? Sometimes the Lord has to strike a person with some severe physical problem to cause them to turn to God. And I want you to hear this. The goal, when God does that, is not for him to punish the person. Jesus was punished for us. So it's not a punishment that this person is now going through a hard time. The goal is restoration. That God says, I'm going to allow you to go through this so that you will put your eyes back on me where they belong, Put your faith back in me where your faith belongs. It's always restoration. It's not punishment. God is a loving God. God punished Jesus for you. He's not punishing you. God does not punish you. Even when you go through something bad, he's not punishing you. Jesus was already punished for you. That was sufficient. However, sometimes God may take you through a hard time so that you will look to him. So that your faith may be strengthened or deepened. You know, sometimes in ministry, it involves the unpleasant task of of confronting other people. Sometimes if you're in ministry, if you want to be a a leader in ministry, that's always a great thing to aspire to, but sometimes it comes with this task of having to confront other believers who may may be maybe teaching a false doctrine or teaching something that might be wrong or living in a way that's, um, you know, opposite of how God has called us to live, and I would tell you it's never pleasant. Especially probably for a guy like Timothy, who it looks like has a timid personality to begin with, so it's kind of looking like this is not really what I want to do. You know what I mean? You know the idea of a shipwrecked faith of Hymenaeus and Alexander in one nineteen. Um, it kind of teaches that they had a they had veered off the course, right? They had veered away. And what's the what's the right course? The right course is good teaching right, understanding the word, reading the word, getting good teaching in your spiritual diet every single week, they had veered off course. And they drifted into this dangerous, you know, coral reef, if you will, of, of false doctrine and false teaching. Interestingly, I, I saw this this week and I wanted to share it with you. The word translated rejected there in 1 Timothy 1.19 is a nautical term. And it means to overthrow something, to take something, in the boat, and to overthrow it. And so what had they done? Hymenaeus and Alexander had tossed out their good conscience. They had already been convicted that, hey, this is not right, that this teaching is not right. They've been corrected by, by Timothy. They've been corrected by Paul, maybe by even other believers, other elders in the church. And they took their good conscience and they said, nope, and they threw it. And does that not happen with people today? Right, you hear that this is, this is how God to, has designed people to live. This is what honors God. And people sit there and they go, I hear that, but I don't want the, the negativity that comes with that. I don't want the, the accusations that come with that. And so I take my conscience and I go, whoop, I throw it overboard. And that's what's happening. That's what happened with Hymenaeus and that's what happened with Alexander. The same thing is happening all around us. People are taking their good conscience and going, whoop, don't want that. Don't need that. Don't like how that makes me feel. Don't like how that's going to make me look. Don't like what other people are going to say about me if I go that way. So, conscience, you got to go. And that's what's happening all around us. Paul again says that he had delivered Hymenaeus and Alexander to Satan to be taught what? Don't blaspheme God. That was what the example was there. Um, And so that's what he had taught them. I want you to notice that the reason that Paul gives out such a judgment Is for the benefit of everybody. It wasn't just for the benefit of Hymenaeus and Alexander. The benefit would be for the whole church. When the the false teachers are removed, the purity of the church is going to increase. Are you with me? Right? It's going to increase. And so, listen, as Paul is saying, hey, we're going to excommunicate these people, we're going to do church discipline and take them out of the church, the purity of the church is going to increase. The threat of false teaching is going to go away, at least for a time, right? The goal for for everybody is that we would submit to God, and the goal for Hymenius and Alexander was that they would submit to God, that they would come back to him, and they would be taught not to blaspheme God. You know, a little boy went to his very first day in first grade, and when the clock had reached 12 noon, just like he had in kindergarten, he started packing up all his stuff. And he just was like, okay, I'm time to go home. And the teacher looked at him, and she thought, what, what is he doing? So she said, I'm going I'm to approach this a positive way with him. She says, you know, Johnny, you know, when you were in kindergarten, at 12 o'clock, you had to pack up all your stuff, and you had to go home. But in first grade, little Johnny, guess what? You get to stay here all day long. And he looked at her just dumbfounded, and he said, who signed me up for this? right? Who signed me up for this? And I can bet you that's probably what's happening with Timothy too, isn't it? Man, who signed me up for this? This is not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for, for having to confront people all the time. That's not my personality. That's not what I want to do. I don't want people to be angry at me, and I don't want to have to step into that all the time. Who signed me up for this? Who signed me up for this? And friends, that's how sometimes you might feel in ministry too. Can I just warn you? Sometimes as you're serving the Lord, whether you're serving at church or you're serving out there in the world, as you're serving the Lord, there might be some times where you go, who signed me up for this? And what I want to tell you is the Lord signs you up for that. The Lord signs you up for that, right? The Lord did. He's the commander-in-chief, and he's drafted you to serve faithfully in his army. Whatever you've been called to do, whatever he's taking you through, you're to honor and obey, to serve knowing that he's going to guide you through it the whole way as a good commander-in-chief. Amen? I heard of a successful doctor who met Jesus. And he left his lucrative practice in Southern California to go and serve in a third world country. And so his non-Christian partner begged him, don't do this. You're making a big mistake. Don't give up our practice for this. Look how much money you have. Look at how much stuff you have. Look at the lifestyle you have. You're going to give it all up to go to a third world country and stay there and and do surgery? What are you doing? Just Just do a trip every now and then. The Christian doctor was performing surgery on a poor woman in that third world country. And the non-Christian doctor one day came and visited him, and he saw him doing the surgery. And he said, "Do you remember how much, how much money you would have gotten for doing that surgery in Southern California?" And the Christian doctor said, "Yeah, I would have gotten thousands and thousands of dollars for doing that." And the non-Christian doctor said to him, "Then why are you doing this?" The Christian doctor said several reasons. You see her clenched fist. And her clenched fist are a few coins that she's going to give to our mission. You see those kids over there? They're going to be forever grateful if I can save their mother's life. But there's one more thing. I hope to hear from my Lord someday the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, God may not direct you to go to a foreign country, but God does call you to a relationship with him. God calls you to ministry with him. And God has called you to be involved in the lives of other people in this church. God has called you to be involved in the lives of other people who are not in this church. God wants you to help other people to come to know him like you know him. God wants other people to grow and mature in the faith just like you are growing and maturing in the faith. And God wants to use you to help them to get there. Friend, as your pastor, I think one of my my biggest prayers for you and prayers for our church is that each of you would one day hear those same words of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want each of you to hear those words one day. Listen, in order to fight the right way, you've got to remain teachable. You've got to be accountable spiritually to other believers. You've got to continue to grow in theology and doctrine. And you've got to never forget that God has called you to this. God has called you to this fight. And so I'm going to encourage you to stand strong. Don't flinch. Fight the good fight. Let's pray. Father God, how good you are to us. How faithful. How loving. How merciful. How full of grace. God, you're so powerful. You're kind. You're generous. Lord, who are we? Lord, sometimes I think well, we look at ourselves and maybe what we might be going through or what other people may be going through. And we might say, God, did you forget about that person? Did you forget about me? Did you forget about us? God, are you still with us? Are you involved in the things that are happening? And Lord, we know that if we're going through it, you're going th- we're going through it with you. Lord, as we're walking, even if we're fighting this battle, whatever the battle looks like for each of us today, it may look different for everybody in this room. My battle may not look like somebody else's battle. But God, you have called us to fight the battle well, to fight the good fight. And so, Lord, every single one of us needs to remember that you are the commander in chief, that we are to honor you and we're to obey you, we're to follow you where you lead. We're not to deviate, Lord. We're not to, uh, to flinch. We're not to give in to the culture. We're not to give in to other battle strategies that we find outside your word. We're to strictly follow your orders that are found in your word. And, God, we can't do that on our own. We need a supernatural strength. And, Lord, we know that's why you have placed your Holy Spirit in us. Your Holy Spirit is here to help us, to empower us, to correct us, to guide us to lead us, to train us, to mature us. Lord, there's something very special that happens when we're with other believers in the faith. Lord, we know that there is is a protective covering like we saw these two scholars both uh, pointed to, that there's some type of protection that happens when we're with other believers. Lord, I pray that you would increase the commitment that each person in this church has to the fellowship of the church. Increase our commitment, Lord. Lord, if we're going to sit here and we're going to evaluate, maybe we have to evaluate, am I too busy? Am I, am I too self-focused? Why am I not, am I not involved in, in, in study? Why am I not involved in, in fellowship with other believers? What's going on? We have to ask that question. For some of us, it's just that we're just too busy. We don't have time to be involved with other believers. No matter what, at the end of the day, we are too busy. Something needs to go. And Lord, some of us might just be on the opposite end. We're not just too busy, we're too lazy. Some people are just lazy and they just, Lord, they just don't have the motivation. So I'm going to pray today that what what either it is, if it's laziness or busyness, Lord, that you would correct it. Lord, help us to correct it. Lord, only each of us knows what, what it is, what you're convicting of us, uh, us of now. But, Lord, increase our commitment. Increase our commitment, Lord. Increase, I pray that you would increase the protection of, of each believer that's here. Lord, we know the enemy studies us. He's looking for those that he can pick off and pick apart and devour. So, Lord, we pray for that commitment so that we would grow also in protection. Lord, that you have continued to show yourself and prove yourself faithful. And Lord, we know that churches are made up of people. And so Lord, how do we know that you're faithful and you're moving in this church? We can look at how you have uh, been involved in the lives of the different people and families of our church. How you are walking with them through suffering. And lo- Lord, how that you're walking with them through pain and hardship. Lord, help us as a church to always uh, have a perspective of your faithfulness and your goodness, and that we're to be your hands and feet, that we're to to bring your goodness and your faithfulness also to other people. Lord, help us with that. Help us to to honor you and obey you in everything. Lord, I, I love this church. I think uh, Lord, I think the world of the people who call this church their family, Lord, I pray again that you would continue to grow us and mature us this week as we're going to gather uh, tomorrow and Wednesday morning and Wednesday night. Lord, Lord, I pray that every single person would say, okay, I'm going to be at one of those. I'm going to be at one of those things. I'm going to grow. I'm going to make a conscious decision that I'm going to get connected, whether it's Monday night at 630 or 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. Lord, I'm praying that we would make that conscious decision to grow, to mature and to fight the good fight well. Jesus, we love you, and Lord, we we pray all this in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.